podcast today we have a very special guest this is the most special guest we've ever had because you're so special thank you we have sienna lytle burton <laughs> are we are we using lytle burton technically it's sienna lacy lytle burton but i go by sienna burton sienna lacy lytle burton mm-hmm. uh sienna is skip's wife i am yeah how's yeah. it feel amazing you love that man? More than anything. That's nice. Yep. Let's fix this mic real quick. There you go. That's better. And so Skip told me um, a story of when he, when you guys first met the first day. <laughs> and he said uh, one of the first things you said to him um, was, yeah, I really want to try a boga medicine. And that like totally blew his mind. Yes. Because, um, you know, he, he had just kind of gotten into it. He was already planning to go to Africa. Yeah. And um, I guess it was kind of destined, you think? Absolutely. That, uh, that whole portal of time was very disorienting and amazing. Why disorienting? Well, you know, when I met your brother, he was on his way to Africa, and I had a one-way ticket to Panama. Yeah. And we were both doing better than we had ever done in our lives. We were mm-hmm. both super happy. And very much intent on our paths that were laid ahead. Mm-hmm. And then we met, and it was one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had. You know, it was very much like my soul recognized his soul, but mm. I was hell-bent on doing me, right? And yeah. he was very much going to Africa, and mm-hmm. so we had to kind of uh, reevaluate things. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was amazing and beautiful. And... Uh, I remember when I met him, he started talking about a boga, and I was like, ah, okay. You know? a little, there's a little sparkle there. That you're like, well, yeah, because okay. our attention. two good friends had mm-hmm. been trying to set us up for a while, mm-hmm. and we were both like, no. We had both gotten to the point in our lives where um, we were taking a break from all that, and we were both doing so well on our own that we didn't want to even go there. Like We were both very much focused on our own selves and um, our growth. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, our two mutual friends uh, eventually got us together in the same room, mm-hmm. finally, after months. Mm-hmm. And uh, at first I was like, okay, yeah, you know, he's cute and he's smart mm-hmm. and he'll be a great friend, right? And then he started yeah. talking about plant medicine. And I was and like, like, oh. baby. Oh. Well, yeah, because like, <laughs> I don't know, I've met a lot of people in different circles that talk about plant medicine and... They kind of talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And your brother was very much walking sure. his butt to Africa. So yeah. I knew he was serious about it. I knew he was serious about his growth and his path and mm-hmm. his healing. Yeah. So I was like, and it seemed like you trouble. both both were kind of coming out of a similar phase in your lives of like a similar kind of past of like the substance abuse and like you know relation like bad relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. Yep, we both uh, kind of went down that path. Um, yeah, that was a huge part of my healing over the course of the past few years. Um, not so much substance abuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have um, I have a past of using all the plant medicines possible, mm-hmm. and I did actually do quite a bit of drugs in yeah, my oh, yeah, uh, yeah. teens and twenties. You know, kind of just exploring and experimenting. Oh, okay. Um, I never really had any addiction problems, though, because of my mother, who's an addict. Mm. Um, that was never a thing for me. I think the closest I got was probably alcohol in my 20s because I was working at places that served alcohol, and yeah. I got it for free. And yeah. when you're young and in your 20s, mm-hmm. that's kind of just how it's it what goes. happens. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of experience working with different plant medicines, and um, I Definitely had a few years of kind of um, escaping into relationships, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, which is like a kind of a different niche of addiction. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the first time I heard that, um, <laughs> it actually came from your brother's mouth and it was very triggering for me because <laughs> like, I was like, I'm not an addict and I will never be an addict, you know, based on my trauma. And then I sat with that and evaluated and I was like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, no, I totally. Yeah. It's really common for people who like have the role model of the substance addict mm-hmm. that go, I'm never going to be that. But then they just become different. I mean, we, there's so many different types of addictions. Exactly. There's emotional addictions. There's addictions to to work and relationships and, you know, Just all the kind of busy. thoughts and like, you know, whatever kind of self-harming stuff that we do. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you do have, um, a pretty extensive past with plant medicines, yes. um, namely ayahuasca, like was primarily, right? Yep. Um, yeah. My dad was actually the person to get me to do ayahuasca. That's cool. Um, just because, you know, depression runs in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I don't know, he had heard about it from someone. He lives in Panama. Yeah. He's been off grid there for like 15 years. So, what was that like? Like, for example, like the first time doing it? Did um, it blow your mind? Yeah. So, I mean, I worked with the ayahuasca for close to four years. Mm-hmm. I sat in over 30 ceremonies. Mm-hmm. I think by far the most transformational ceremony for me was my very first one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I went in and I came out and I left my partner. I quit my job. I moved. It was, it showed me, I was like, oh, I can't have casual sex anymore. It showed me so much about my life that wasn't in alignment. Mm-hmm. And then moving forward. Um, no casual sex, but what about like business casual sex? <laughs> For only formal sex from here on out. Exactly. You know, I had suit. to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. So that was like a huge. A pivotal moment for me. But then moving forward, you know, I continued with this medicine and I got a lot of healing from ayahuasca, but it was, it didn't really stick. It was like after that very first one, I had like little bits and pieces, but for the amount of ayahuasca I was drinking, it was not sticking. And in fact, most of my ceremonies were horrible. Like just dark dark like i'm crawling in my skin for hours like Hmm. excruciating like everyone around me is like love and light and having these incredible experiences Mm -hmm. and um you know the community that i was a part of was amazing and very supportive but man i would come back just keep coming back you know and be like this is this is painful but you know i'm dead set on healing and they were just like you're insane but we admire you you know like i just kept going back because i was like I guess I was getting enough from the plant to want more and I wanted to heal so badly, but, mm. um, it's actually funny The I met your brother in August and in July of that year, I sat for the very last time and I was like, you're I'm like, done. just, you're done. I'm done. Mm. Um, and so out of the entirety of that, whatever you said, uh, four years, mm-hmm. um, did you walk away from it going like, yeah, that was helpful for me? Or were you kind of like, I don't know if that was helpful for me, or maybe it was a little bit or. It, I absolutely. Ayahuasca changed my life for the yeah. better. In many ways, ayahuasca saved my life. And I think ayahuasca is, is the plant medicine for a lot of people. Mm. It just wasn't mine. Yeah. And I beat myself up for years because I thought there was something wrong with me yeah. because I wasn't getting there with mm-hmm. this plant. Yeah. I went down to the jungle. I went down to Peru. I spent a month there with a mm-hmm. Shipibo Curandera. Like I, and I was able to get, I mean, I did get a lot more down in Peru, obviously working with indigenous people rather than up here yeah. at home. But, um, it got to the point where I was like, this is no longer serving me. And it was very weird that it happened right before I met your brother and right before I got the opportunity to meet a boga. Mm-hmm. And so after you, you did, you did a boga for the first time and, um, what was that like in comparison to what you'd experienced with ayahuasca? I mean, we say it over and over again. There's really no preparing you for the experience of a boga. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like any other thing on the planet, and mm-hmm. we even hesitate to call it a psychedelic. Um, yeah. My past experience with all these... Kind of cheapens it. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it kind of really messed up my first experience because... Um, I mean, I was fortunate enough to sit with Stephen, mm-hmm. um, Spencer's teacher. Stephen Mubangi, we've had him on the podcast, everyone. Yeah. You can go listen to that episode. He's amazing. Amazing guy. Amazing. Got you into the medicine, got Skip into the medicine. Yep. He did my pre-initiation. Yeah. 
He's a he's over in Portugal yeah. with root healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, last minute, Stephen threw together a retreat for me because I was on my way to Panama and Spencer was on his way to Africa, and I really wanted to get to experience this medicine before your brother went to the other side of the planet and was going through you know all his shit mm-hmm. without me having any idea of what that meant. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I went and um, I have a very strong mind. And I knew that I was probably going to have to eat a lot of medicine. Mm -hmm. And it was just me and one other woman. Like I said, it was thrown together last minute. It was a huge favor. Um, Steven hooked us up. And so, like, I think she laid down after, like, two scoops. And, like, scoop five, I'm still sitting up just hanging out with Steven. (laughs) And so finally he's like, well, why don't you lay down? And, you know, if you need more medicine, I'll give you more. Mm -hmm. And so I lay down and time goes by and he comes back and he checks in with me. And he's like, how are you doing? I'm like, yeah, okay. I think I think I need more. And he was like, okay. And so he gives me another scoop and he's like, you know, the funny thing about this medicine is you can have a totally lucid conversation and still be super high. And I was like, huh. Oh. And I, I'm laying down and I have my eye mask on mm-hmm. and I watch Steven walk through the living room into the kitchen, back behind a wall, the dining room and come back and sit on the couch. Yeah. And I'm like, there's there's no fucking way. I know. And I lift my eye mask up and sure as shit, he is sitting on the couch. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, I'm high. So my mind, after that, it like all kind of started to unfold for me. It started but to my, make sense. I had all these expectations. Yeah. Despite the fact that going into it, I vowed I, I don't have any expectations. I have no idea what this mm-hmm. is going to be. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm ready to let go and I'm done with all my bullshit. Yeah. It, it, it My mind totally got in the way. Despite yeah. that. And totally. after that, it totally unfolded mm-hmm. <laughs> for me, and I was very, very high. I think I ended up, I ended up having six scoops that night. Yeah, um, and it was intense. My very first retreat was rough, but that's absolutely what I needed. Yeah, and ju- just, just real quick, um, what what Santa's describing here is the fact that she's seeing through her likely closed eyelids and your eye mask. Right, yeah. And that's that's not a hallucination. This happened to me the first time. <laughs> it's so it's cool. It's the first thing that I noticed <laughs> is that I had my um, my sleeping mask on and I'm like, have my hand in front of my face. I'm like, I can see my hand. This is the weirdest thing. I can see through my sleeping mask. I was like, okay, my sleeping mask must just be like crappy or shoddy. So I, <laughs> so I took it off. And I was like, this is so weird. That's, that's, that's strange. And I'm laying there with my eyes closed and I can still see everything with my eyes closed. And this happens to me now every... Every time I do a boga, yeah. it opens your third eye and you yeah. can see with your eyes closed. You can see around walls. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can see through walls. It's crazy. Yeah. So anyways, as you were saying. Yeah. So at that point, you know, it, the experience really took off for me. Um, and I, you know, a lot of stuff came up and um, at dawn, you know, is when mm-hmm. you, you move from where you're laying at night and you go into your room. It's a very yeah. important part of the experience, mm-hmm. um, a very important part of the tradition. And so at dawn, Stephen gets me up. And at this point, I've already <laughs> purged. Um, and I have purged on everything at this point in my life. And I consider myself a really good purger. I don't have a problem with it. And that purge was like way more came out than what had gone in, you know, because mm-hmm. you fast sure. for hours. Yeah. It was it was big. I was like, okay, cool. Thank you, Aboga. No idea what that was, but yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. So then at dawn, um, Stephen gets me and um, I stand up and we start walking back to my room. Mm-hmm. And I immediately get very hot. And I start just pouring sweat. Yeah. And we're walking, we're walking. And it's like every step I take, I'm getting more and more nauseous. Mm-hmm. And my room was across the hall from the bathroom. So by the time we get to that little intersection, mm-hmm. I bail. I ditch Stephen and I throw myself at the toilet and I have the craziest purge I've ever had. It was mm. – um, I'm expecting to puke my brains out, and it was like a boga reached in my mouth, down my throat, and into the depths of my soul and was ripping stuff out, and mm. it was air. Mm. All that's coming out is air. That's so weird. It was – like even now it gives me goosebumps. That was – it was – it was one of the most intense experiences of my life that I will never forget. And mm. it, it happened for a few minutes. And then I literally just laid down on the bathroom floor and started crying and was like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I felt good. Whatever no it was idea that came what out. That was, but yeah. the fact that that was in there and I had no idea, like just gratitude. Mm. And Steven comes in, he's like, you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. That was great. Like, and so I start to sit up again and I'm like, oh, there's more. And so I throw myself out the toilet again and do more of that. 
burp vomiting? Yeah, and in but it was it it felt like it was being ripped out of me. It was like the closest thing to an exorcism I think I could possibly experience. Mm. And it felt deeper than me, right? And so it took me months to figure out what that was. And mm. you know, when people come through retreat, we say at the end, you know, you get a lot of information in a very short amount of time and you need you you just need to let it unfold mm-hmm. because you're going to get um realizations about this experience mm-hmm. four months from now. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in Panama four months later yeah. and I was having all these realizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them in that was with that moment, mm-hmm. um, I was sitting, well, I was laying in a hammock on my dad's property. And one of my <laughs> favorite things to do out there is to sit or lay there and um, watch the hills around him. He has a really cool spot that's on top of these hills that overlooks the jungle and the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so on the back property, there's uh, cows and horses. And I would just lay in that hammock for hours and watch them do their thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm laying there and um, I was thinking about how grateful I was that I didn't have kids. It sounds really weird, but I spent most of my life not wanting children based mm-hmm. on my past. And in fact, my very first aboga ceremony, the medicine showed me as an eight-year-old, it took me back to my room when I was eight and I made that promise to myself. And I was like, I'm never getting married. I'm never having kids. I'm never putting any child through <laughs> That's this. That's an interesting yeah, yeah. thing. It showed me a lot of little snippets from my, my past. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, like it made me realize how silly that was. Like I made that promise to myself as an eight-year-old and then growing up, I, I kept that promise subconsciously and I wasn't even aware of it. I never fully gave my heart to anyone. I never fully showed Hmm. anyone who I was. I never gave my trust to anyone. It was like, the medicine was like, this is what you've been doing to yourself. And it was like, oh my God, really? It's like, it's like promising yourself at 10 years old, you're never going to drive a car because it's scary. Right? Right. That kind of. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm so grateful that I haven't had kids yet because for most of my life, I didn't want kids. And then for me as a woman, it was very much biological. It was like... One of my very old friends from kindergarten mm-hmm. had her first child, and I wasn't in the room, but I was waiting, and then I got to go in and see her, like, a little bit after. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, when I saw her change from, like, my friend into a mother, my uterus, like, turned on and was like, guess what time it is? Yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, no, no. I nah, don't I don't yeah. want to have babies. But my body was like, oh, yeah, you do. So for me, it was very biological, and I understand sure. for other women, it's different. So well, then moving forward. Hmm? I think that's common, the biological aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, I never believed it, though. I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm not having kids. I'm good. Anyway, so moving forward, I was like, okay, I don't want to have kids until I'm healed. And then, so then I started working with plant medicines. Mm -hmm. And then I got to a certain point, you know, before I did a boga, and I was like, I think I've made a lot of progress, but there's still more to go. And I don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, before meeting your brother in a boga, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to fucking do this. Yeah. And then I met your brother. And then yeah. I, I did a boga. And so I'm laying there in this hammock and I'm like so grateful that I haven't had kids. And then I realized in that moment. Um, so the story with my my line, my mother's line mm-hmm. is that um, my mom's an addict. She's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And um, when my grandmother was uh, four months pregnant, so my mom's four months in utero, um, her father dies. So her husband, mm. the mother or the, the father of my mom dies mm-hmm. tragically. Mm-hmm. And so my mom's in the womb. And you know. You know how women, um, a, a, when a female baby comes in, they're born with all their eggs. Mm-hmm. So it's not just my mom in there, it's me yeah. in my mom. Oh, yeah. So it's all three of us going through mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And then um, by the time my mom was born, my grandma was just still devastated and didn't really want much to do with my mom. Mm. And obviously, that's the source of my mom's pain, you know, like self-worth and yeah. self-love are mm. non-existent, you know? So my yeah. mom had a really, really hard childhood. Mm-hmm. Um and in that moment, I realized that part of that deep cleaning was like the medicine went into my womb, it went into my mother's womb, and it went into my grandma's womb and just fucking cleaned it wow. out. And I like sat there in the hammock crying. I was like, oh my God, thank you. So then time goes on and I'm like, you know, we, I go to Panama, your brother goes to Africa, and then we get back and we start doing retreats. Mm-hmm. And I have the incredible opportunity to do this. Yeah. It's like... So yeah, I, I want to get into that aspect of it. Um, just just real quick. I'm, I'm curious... Um, just so for the listeners, like how, how did, so having your time with ayahuasca and, um, doing your 30, um, ceremonies or or however many times you said 30, (laughs) something like that. Yeah. 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 And then doing your aboga, how did those compare? Was it similar? Did it help you as much or? So the thing about aboga is you go inward Mm -hmm. and all the other ones you go outward, especially ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, my very first aboga retreat was my rite of passage, mm. hands down. 
And that's not something we have over here in the West. You know, we mm-hmm. talk about that a lot. Yeah. Um, there's no line in the sand that we draw that you cross that it's like, okay, mm-hmm. moving forward, you are now your own person. You're a sovereign being with your own agency to make your decisions and you are fully responsible for that. Yeah. We don't get that. I, I mean, women have that in childbirth, right? That's sure. You go from maiden to mother and that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've even grown apart from that as women. Mm. So that was hands down the biggest healing I got from that first retreat was, you know, this is, this is how I like to explain it during retreats. Um, I was wearing this backpack of childhood trauma Mm. and I went to all the medicines. I went to ayahuasca and was like, I have this huge backpack of, of crap. It's not mine. Can you please take it off? Mm -hmm. LSD, same thing. Please help me take this off. Psilocybin, please. It's so heavy. Please help me. I don't want to carry this anymore. Please help me take it off. Mm-hmm. And then I finally get to a book. I'm like, I've got this backpack. I've been carrying it my whole life. It's full of trauma, mm-hmm. ancestral. It's not mine. I just want to take it off. And a is like, do it yourself. Yeah. Okay, do it. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <clears throat> every morning, every day, I chose to put that backpack on. Yeah. I did that to myself. That was a choice that I made. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have the first movie. The Buti teaching, the first movie yep. is from when you're born until you're 18. Mm-hmm. And it's written, produced, and directed by everyone around you. Basically everyone but you, your parents, yeah. your society. The second one starts when you're 18 and most people make a sequel. Mm. My sequel was a blockbuster. I did a very good job. I had no idea. And I left that. I left home in the country at 17. So I yeah. even escaped. Like I got fully out and was able to recreate myself in a ways that a lot of kids at that age aren't able to. And mm-hmm. I still, still wore that backpack yeah i still um those narratives in my mind were still going so you so you stepped into this um new period of of your life with um you know your your relationship with skip your beautiful you know relationship there and and you also stepped into with that relationship um uh, a relationship with with a boga, and now you're um, helping him uh, facilitate his uh, re- retreats for how long now has it been? We've been doing this for like a year and a half. A year and a half, yeah. and so um, just in the beginning, learning and, and kind of training and, and learning the ropes with him, and um, yeah. And so let's let's talk about that a little bit. What that what that has been like, and uh, and stuff for you. So yeah, uh, the first time I did a boga, I was like, oh, I found my medicine. Yeah. And thank God, because I thought there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, your brother's going to Africa and he's going to be a provider of this medicine. Mm-hmm. And that was something that we discussed very early on, like, do you want to be a part of this? And for a long, long time, my whole life, I was trying to figure out how to make my, how to fully submerge, my, submerge myself into this, this medicine world into this healing environment, right? Mm-hmm. And have it like sustain you and have it be right. your thing. Right, have that be my thing, right? Yeah. And I was never, never able to do that. And then this happened. And th- this medicine hooked me up, dude. There's no other way to explain it. Like I went, within a few weeks of meeting your brother, I got to sit with this medicine. Then he goes to Africa and becomes a provider. So a few months later, I have the ability to assist in ceremonies for yeah. a whole year, like 13 ceremonies before... I go to Africa mm-hmm. to do my healing and become a provider. It was like this path was just laid out in front of me. Like, mm-hmm. here you go. And I was like, so grateful. Like, yeah. I don't know how I got here or the to be in this position, but thank you. I think that's a, an appropriate way to look at things. It's like, you know, we're entitled, we're entitled to nothing. And th- th- there's just so many, there's so many blessings, you know? Yeah, it was, it was beautiful, you know, meeting your brother, changed my life meaning this medicine changed my life and to have mm-hmm. both of those things together is like and so then so you had your whatever 13 ceremonies and all that time doing it and then um you went to africa yes i did and you went to africa and you um got your provider training and now you um are technically a provider yourself I am. and so um let's talk about africa and how what that was like <laughs> for you uh, did uh, you did you walk into that feeling like um well, I thought this is going to be easy because I already kind of have, I, you've done enough medicine to where you're healed. You didn't feel that way? No. no. So one of the Buiti teachings, as you very well know, is 99.999% is mm-hmm. equal to zero. Mm-hmm. And so going it's to Africa. Huh? It's not 400. <laughs> yeah. So going to Africa, I very much knew that I had probably gotten through my 99%. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was dealing with my 1%. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was, but I knew that if I didn't, that w- that was holding me back entirely. So if mm-hmm. I didn't conquer that, it wasn't going to happen. Mm. 
Um, and I knew, you know, this medicine never shows you anything that you're, that's shocking or that you're unaware of. It's, yeah. it's, it's always right there. You know, the truth yeah. is always right in front of your face. Sure. And so, yeah, I mean, I, because of my extensive training with your brother, I was able to go and do it in five weeks instead of eight to 12 weeks, which is the normal sure. provider training. So you had a little bit of a leg up. Kinda. I did. So I kind of got thrown into training in the middle towards, yeah, towards the middle with a few other trainees. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was challenging. It was hard. Yeah. I mean, just the conditions and the conditions were way better when we, when I went than when your brother went for the first time. I have no idea how he did that. I don't know that I could have, I don't know how I would have survived that, but you know, it, it's Africa. It's hot. You are covered in clothing. You cannot ever not be covered in clothing. It's like, I had never dealt with that level of heat, um, and like just having to be covered. Like I've yeah. been, I've had the ability to travel the world. I've been very fortunate and been in very warm situations, but never having to cover like that. And the, the bugs were savage. Yeah. <laughs> like eat you alive in 30 seconds, savage. Was that the most challenging part of it? Or was it the, was it the, the work you were doing with the medicine? Was that challenging as it well? It was all of it, dude. It just stacked yeah. up. Like, um, it was that, it was definitely the, the conditions, but you know, it was also like you show up and it's like your nervous system ha is on and your nervous system is on the whole time. Because once you get into training as a provider, you're doing ceremony every few days and like, you're not necessarily told when ceremony is. So it's kind of just like, you have to be ready for anything all the time. And it's not just ceremony. It's like, okay, are you laying down? Or are you a provider? So it's really like, be prepared for anything at all times. And I didn't realize how much that was wearing on me until we left the village. Yeah. And I literally passed out in the back of Muganda's truck. I like fell asleep. Like my, it was the first time my nervous system came down for the first time. Yeah. And like, oh man, I was like, oh. So my very first ceremony there was very much cleaning. Uh -huh. It was very physical. It was very cleaning. Yeah. Um, and, you know, by then, so I started with six scoops. My very first one about it. Six <laughs> scoops is a lot. No, no, not in Africa. One of my very first retreat. And by the okay, time I yeah, got to right, Africa, right. my tolerance was probably at three. You know, uh -huh. I'd, I'd laid down probably four or five times with your brother mm -hmm. on top of like eating medicine while doing retreats. Sure. So by the time I got there, my my tolerance was around three scoops, but the medicine there was way stronger. And I... Do you think the medicine's stronger? Do you think that it just kind of hits you harder both. based on the energy? Both. Definitely both. So the first one um, was really intense. I mean, even at night it's hot and you're sitting in front of a fire and then you're laying down and there's like bugs and it's just, and then going to the bathroom is a whole different thing. Like it was like challenging in all the ways you can think of. It was challenging. So after that though, I felt really good. I was like, my body physically felt amazing. So I was like, okay, now I think we're going to get into the inner stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So then, um, my second ceremony, Oh, this was the one that was the hands down the most um, loving and beautiful ceremony I've had with Boga. Mm. And that's not to say that most of them haven't been, but it was – that was it. It was like all love for me. It was like – it worked on my heart in a way that it, I had never experienced before. Um, it did some things up in my brain that were also magical. It was just like I felt so good. My body was humming all night with like love and happiness and gratitude, and I've, I had not experienced that with this medicine before. I'd experienced it in my regular life, you know, from the medicine as yeah. like a byproduct, but sure. in it with the medicine. So the next day, rest day, I'm sitting with your brother out in like the living area, and I was like, I feel so different, and I don't know how. Mm. And he was like, okay, well, just start talking, try to explain it. And I was like, okay, I feel like a new human on this planet but in a different way than I've ever felt before and he was like okay keep going and I was like I feel like I'm a human on this planet that has no ancestors hmm. and he was like okay I, and he's like is that a good thing I'm like yeah I feel totally free but it feels like I was like oh my oh my god did I like wipe out my entire ancestral line like are they just gone now <laughs> he was like I seriously doubt it but go talk to Muganda mm -hmm. and so I went to Muganda and I was like Dude, I don't know what happened last night, but I think I wiped out my entire ancestral line. Mm. And he like laughed at me. He was like, no. He was like, you cleaned it. Mm. And you got rid of the bad stuff. Mm. And because that was a lot, you feel like it's all gone. Mm. So your, ancestor, <laughs> your ancestors are very much still there. Mm. But man, that feeling I had never experienced before. And that's lasted? Oh, yeah. This is the thing that I realized in that moment. Well, that particular ceremony and mm -hmm. the... The processing day 
was in my um, in those four years that I worked with ayahuasca, I was shown a lot of like random things. But one thing that kept coming back to me was um, this door, this door that like behind it was full of like my lineage and like ancestral trauma. And it would open a little bit and I would always get really nervous, like terrified because I knew if the door opened all the way, it would totally take me out. Like as a human being, I wouldn't Mm. be able to handle it. Hmm. And for four years, this kept coming back over and over and over again. Mm. So then I go down to Peru and I'm sitting, I go up to sit in front of the, the, um, curandero so he can see sing my Icaro, the song. And I'm sitting there and he's smoking his pipe and he's singing and I can feel behind me this mountain growing. And I'm like, this is, this is my shit. Like, this is my family's stuff. This mm-hmm. is all the trauma. This is all the, all of it. Right. Yeah. And I start crying because I'm just like, I'm never going to get rid of this. It's, this isn't even mine. Like, why am I dealing with this? Yeah. And he's sitting there smoking, singing, and he looks at me and then he looks behind me, like, and looks, looks at the mountain, like, does this whole eye thing where he like sees it and then looks back at me and like bows his head, like he acknowledges. And in that moment, man, I just lost it. I just started crying, was Mm. like, oh my God. So I haven't been making this up, you know, like for a long, long time, I'm like, is this just me fucking with myself? Like, how real is this? Why am I the one that has to deal with all my ancestral stuff, whatever? So that was like acknowledging for me, it felt good. But then I was also like, so what do I do? You know, that was a lot of what ayahuasca was for me. It was like, here's the thing. Okay, no directions as to how to get rid of it, how to heal it. That's what it was for me. Sure. So it was a lot of like coming up against walls. So then I go to Africa and my second ceremony, it's completely wiped out. Hmm. And I was like, oh my God, I did it. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't make up all that shit, you know, like it was was real. Was it that last 1% you think? No. Mm -mm. Nope. (laughs) So what was that you think? That came, I think uh, it was the following ceremony. So... (sighs) I realized that um, over the course of that year with your brother, your brother is an amazing provider. And I'm not saying this because I'm his wife and I adore him, mm-hmm. although that's true. Mm-hmm. Your brother was made for this, like yeah. was made to do this. Mm-hmm. Like he understands people in a way that is fascinating to watch. He knows how to deliver information in the right way for it to land. He mm-hmm. can read people. He is doing a thousand things at once the entire week we're in retreat. Like his fire talks are amazing. He's kind and compassionate and like it's it's a joy to watch. But it's also I realized a lot. I was putting all this pressure on myself. Mm -hmm. So every time I mean, I took baby steps all year, right? Like I wasn't able I wasn't allowed to counsel people for most of that year because I wasn't Buiti. I hadn't gone to Africa. You know, I wasn't. And that's the most crucial part. Right. Um. But, you know, I took baby steps to taking on a little bit more responsibility, doing a little bit more. But the whole time I was just constantly comparing myself to your brother. And I was like, I'm not doing this good enough. I'm, I'm never going to be that good. Yeah. He is so fucking good at this. Like, but I didn't know I was doing this. Sure. So then I get to Africa and mm-hmm. uh, that whole ceremony was me doing that in my mind. And I was like, oh, my God, I've been doing this all year. Mm-hmm. And the medicine was like, you don't trust yourself. <clears throat> It was like, you can have everything set up around you. You can have all of this experience with a boga. You can have an amazing teacher. You can have all this ability to practice it. You can have a a retreat center. But if you don't trust yourself, it's all for nothing. And you don't trust yourself. Like that one little piece, that that's it. That's what's going to hold you back from everything. Hmm. Because, you know, trusting yourself is an integral part of anyone's healing. Um, but to be a provider in training to trust yourself, to carry this tradition and this medicine in a way that is proper with reverence, right, is a lot. Mm -hmm. So how do you trust yourself? For me, it was um, realizing that, this is going to sound corny, but everyone's different. And, you know, especially um, spending time with other providers, their providers in training, I got to know everyone and we all came from different walks of life and we all had different traumas. And so because of that, we're all going to be different providers. Yeah. We're going to um, have different abilities and skills to connect with people and to understand them. And I realized, oh, I'm not Spencer. I'm Sienna. Yeah. And I'm never going to be Spencer. And you're going to have your own unique (laughs) gifts. Yeah. And as corny, as simple as that sounded, like that's what it took for me. Like, I was just too hard on myself, you know, and I yeah. grew up in an environment where um, 
you know, I was a child athlete for 10 years. And so I was very disciplined and we had this whole practice and regiment, like, mm-hmm. and I grew up, um, doing that to myself, which meant I was very productive and I was able to pull some amazing shit off, but my inner dialogue was not healthy and mm. harsh. Yeah. And so that's what I was doing. Not, not, not in a very mean way, you know, because I had, I had come to terms with that voice in my very first retreat. Like, this is how you talk to yourself. But I was still being overly um, judgmental and comparing, constantly comparing myself to your brother. And so it was this whole coming to terms of the fact that um, I'm Sienna and I'm awesome and I'm going to be an amazing provider by being myself. Yeah. Which is funny because we talk. I like that. Yeah. We talk a lot in retreat about how much time we spend as humans trying to be someone we're not. Mm-hmm. We're constantly trying yeah. to be other people. And we're rejecting ourselves, which mm. means we're rejecting nature. Yeah. And it's never going to work. It's like yeah. looking at a mountain, a beautiful mountain, being like, yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, it takes it takes a lot of time to really to implement that, you know. And, and it's, it, you know, we've spent so many years of our lives building up these things mm-hmm. that just getting rid of them real quick, um, it's hard. I mean, the, the medicine helps. I mean, the medicine makes it totally. so much easier. Um, but I mean, I mean, I've, I've found for myself the same thing of like little ways in which I've just, I've just found these little, little pieces of things I used to hold on to just kind of gently shedding away, mm-hmm. you know, kind of just realizing they don't, they're not, that's not me. Right. And for me, a lot of it was the awareness. Like I was so caught up in my mind before doing this medicine. I mean, I had a strong mind, but I would, it would take me like three hours to go to sleep at night. Like that's how strong my yeah. mind was. Um, and I was so caught up in my mind, I wasn't even aware of so much that was going on. Like even just the smallest choices. So do you feel that way still caught in your mind? No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, I'll have moments, right? I'm a human. My mind is going to produce thoughts. That's what the mind does, but it's, um, accepting the fact that you're never going to control your mind and that you need to work with it. A lot of people think, well, I'm going to, I'm going to fix this by controlling my mind. And it's like, no, the mind produces, uh, thoughts like the cloud, the sky produces clouds. Mm-hmm. It's it's reprogramming your mind. It's understanding your mind. It's turning your mind into a secretary, not a boss. My mind was very much a boss, and not in a good mm-hmm. way. <laughs> well, isn't that in a sense controlling your mind though, turning it into a secretary as, as instead of a boss? Well, yeah, but it's learning to work with it. It's ex- it's it's seeing how it go- works and what it tends to do, and mm-hmm. then um, accepting that and having awareness so when it comes up, you're able to make different choices. That's what it was for me: is realizing the patterns and the habits. Um, but, you know, Aboga goes in and wipes, wiped most of those out for me. Mm. But then, you know, as go- integration, it's like you're going back into the real world and your you mind still slowly to, yeah, turns you, back on. You have to choose differently. Right. But then you have the time and the space up there mm-hmm. to, to choose differently. Mm. It's just, it's, for me, it was a lot of uh, awareness. Like, oh, I'm still doing this. No, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, you know, it took, I don't, it took going to Africa for me to, to, to excavate that 1% for sure. After that though, like that was it. I was like four ceremonies in and I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. that's what it was. I'm good. Yeah. And so for the rest, um, it was just practicing, but man, the first time I was a head provider walking around that temple, I was like, I've been doing this for so long already. Like it felt so natural to me. Yeah. It was awesome. It was amazing and empowering. And I was like, I'm so, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Like, this is my path. This and, is what um, I'm doing. so what was it like being there and getting to see, uh, skip kind of in his element and in the way that he was getting kind of <laughs> blessed up by Mugenda. This story is pretty awesome. If yeah. You share it. Yeah. Like the ceremony one. Any of it. Cause yeah. it seemed, it seemed like he was just so very, for me, very honored. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny too. Like meeting Mugenda for me was, um, really cool. Like it was, the only thing I can compare it to is when I met Spencer. It was like a soul-to-soul recognition, obviously minus the romance. Yeah. But it was also like, oh, yeah, it's Mugenda. Like, I know him. And it, it, I, I think I was expecting that whole time to, like, want to impress him and do a really good job. And not once did I ever feel that. I was just like, no, I'm here to do work. Yeah. I don't really care. I feel that way about him, too, and I have never met him. Yeah, it was very surreal. Yeah. yeah. So um, the whole <laughs> – I mean, Spencer went and um, was there to support me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he did learn a few other things too. He did some extended training, but, um, it was immediate 
like I realized immediately that despite the fact that Muganda had never been to any of our retreats, he was very well aware of what was going on and the mm. amount of work we had done and the quality of it because he yeah. immediately knew. Obviously, you know, he's a 10th generation shaman working with this stuff. medicine. So like he got some memos, right? He knows stuff. And coming from my experience, you know, I had only experienced Stephen and your brother as providers. And so like I was like, yeah, he's really good at this, but I have no no other experience. So who knows, right? And then we go to Africa and, and um, Muganda very much acknowledged that. And I was like, oh, okay. I was right, you know, it sounds mm -hmm. weird to say, but, you know, yeah. I didn't have anything to compare it to. And then um, Spencer really didn't have any time off. Uh, he he helped provide. He counseled a lot. He did a mm. lot for all the, the providers and training as mm -hmm. well as for the people that um, showed up to heal. Mm. Um, yeah, him and Muganda were immediately just like homies. Yeah. It was really cool to see. And then in our last ceremony, our last welcome ceremony, um, Muganda called Spencer forward and gave him gifts and was like, you're doing an incredible job. And, um, in front of the whole tribe. Yeah. In front of everyone. And it's funny. We went into that ceremony and I knew it was going to happen. I yeah. didn't think it was going to be to that extent, but I was like, Muganda is going to do something <laughs> yeah. with Spencer. Um, and so he did, he called him forward and they sang some songs and gave him some gifts and just told him like, you're doing an amazing job and keep up the good work. And, uh, he was, he said, I'm so grateful and honored to have you as a provider. And yeah. I just started crying. I was like, this is the highest. Like, I don't even... Yeah. Does it get better than this? That's what's up. I yeah. I mean, I'm so proud of, of him. Proud of you guys. Thank you. Really doing good. Um, um, so, you said there's something you wanted to, to talk about specifically um, on the podcast, which is the women's retreats. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. Um, well, let's we, talk about that a little bit. Well, we have one coming up in July. Um... And that one is specifically is a full moon one. And we try to do more of those, but just the way that it worked out um, with retreats that we already have in place that mm -hmm. people have signed up for. And then your guys' shows. Yeah. It was a little hard to finagle. Yeah. Um, but we have that one. And then we have another one coming up in later fall. Um, and it was something that I specifically spoke to Magenda about right before I left mm -hmm. because I wasn't sure if that was even allowed. And um, as you know, Spencer and I uh, – respect this tradition and we don't add or subtract anything from it so yeah. i wanted to hear from uganda himself it was if it was okay to do all women's and he was like absolutely and i i saw that coming you know because you go to the village and you're in africa and women and men have different roles we are different it makes a lot of sense you know so there are some things that women only do and there are some things that men only do and they don't talk about it they don't really know about mm. it it's it's different for a reason it's kind of ta it's kind of taboo to in today's uh Politically correct. Well, I mean, I agree with you. I think that women and men have have natural tendencies based on nature. Right, it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, it resonate it resonated for me, and then I went to Africa and really experienced it. You know, you go to the roots; it's like yeah. roots there. Yeah. You go to a village and you see it. And we, you know, men and women have their different strengths. Women are doing what women are doing, and men are doing what men are doing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. To each their own, you know? That's just my personal opinion. That's how I feel about it. And um, so going there and experiencing it was felt good and right for me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, moving forward, I wanted to make sure that I was respecting the tradition sure. and I didn't want to do anything wrong. So I yeah. spoke to Miganda about it right before we left. And he was like, absolutely. Yes, you should definitely be doing that. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. Um, so is this kind of what you're talk like what you're talking about earlier in the sense that there's no real like um, rite of passage for for women like this? No, there is. There very much is a rite of passage for women, and it's childbirth. But I think in today's society, we are so far removed from that. Um, yeah, the the um, entire experience of childbirth has been um, medicalized. Most women have children in the hospital um, and. A lot of women are afraid of it. You know, there's a lot of birth trauma that mm -hmm. no one really talks about. Yeah, of course. About. And then I, ha I had a whole other moment in Africa where I was, um, I was again grateful that I hadn't had children yet. And this was actually really hard for me because the week, the year prior to going to Africa, mm -hmm. I was totally focused on training for Africa, right? But there's mm -hmm. another part of me that's like, 
dying to have kids. Like I'm so excited. So I bought all these books and I was like, okay, I'm not getting into this until after Africa Mm -hmm. because I can't, like I can't, I need to focus. So then I go to Africa and I come back and I have all of these books and I realize like, I don't know if I can even read these anymore because they're all about natural childbirth. They're all about like holistic ways to prepare your body. Um, But again, basically what has happened with childbirth nowadays is we have, um, we have become afraid to give birth because we're afraid of the pain, right? Aspect Mm -hmm. of it, which makes sense, but we have lost trust in our own bodies. Mm. It's like, we have been doing this since the beginning of time and our bodies know exactly what to do. Mm -hmm. But there's so much fear wrapped around it now. And it was actually really funny because we were in the airport. We were like in Chicago for six hours on our way home and sitting at a gate waiting during our um, layover. And there was a group of probably 15 young girls behind us and they were nurses and they were all talking about childbirth. And they were all like talking about how scary it was. And like, I would never have a baby without an epidural and this, that, and the other thing. And I was just like, this is perfect. This is icing on the cake. The (laughs) fact that we have to sit here for a few hours and listen to this. So no, I very much believe that uh, the rite of passage of childbirth still exists. I think mm-hmm. women have been removed from it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like sure. learning, trusting We're yourself. We're removed from the concept of rite of passage entirely in the West. It seems like. I think yeah. I mean yeah. Regardless of whether you're aware of it, you if you're aware of it or not, like you go from you go from a transition of maiden to mother, and that's huge. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you give birth in a hospital, if you do an epidural, whatever. Mm-hmm. However you choose to do yeah. it, that's a huge uh, transition. Um, I'm just so grateful at this point that I haven't had kids because, um, I, you know, I want to do it as natural as possible, Mm -hmm. but I was, I didn't always used to be like that. And now I have all these books where I'm like, I want to know, and I want to be educated in terms of like the, um, best ways to prepare my body to do so. But at the end of the day, I want to trust myself. I don't Mm want to have all these ideas in my head coming from other people to tell me what it's going to look like, how it's supposed to go. Because that goes completely goes against Iboga and Bleti. Yeah, it goes against. Uh, it points Bleti. you back to yourself. So, are these women's women's retreats um, used as as rite of passage or no? I absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, How are they different than just going to a normal retreat? I mean, I think that there are a lot of women out there that have been interested in doing this medicine, but don't feel safe enough to do it in an environment with a man. Yeah, because a lot of what women are dealing with is trauma that they've experienced and um talking you know because you're laying there in a room with these other people uh, you know and people can kind of hear what's going on with you yeah yeah you know the set the the sad sexual trauma exactly the sad truth of it is most of the women i know have been through that myself included yeah multiple times i know yeah it's it's sad but it's true and so i just want to um create a space that um you know, provides an opportunity for women to go as deep as possible with this medicine. And really you know? feel safe in the container. Yeah. And like, it's different speaking to someone who understands your trauma, but hasn't experienced it. You know, when you speak to someone that, like my very first retreat was with Stephen. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the big wound that I had to heal was my mom. Mm. And Stephen had a hell of a round, like a hell of a go with his mom. And so mm. I got to speak with him for a week about it. And that was so healing for me because he had gone through it. I could talk to someone else, like a therapist or a friend who understood what I was talking about but hadn't experienced it, and it's mm-hmm. a completely different situation. Yeah. So although Spencer might be speaking to an experience that they understand, if he hasn't gone through it, it could be – it's not going to land the same, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, and So will you be running those retreats entirely yourself? Me and a few women helpers, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um. But yeah, I think women that have, uh, I think it could be a rite of passage regardless whether women have had children or not. Yeah. It's more of a conscious, sure. I think it would be more of a conscious rite of passage for women yeah. that have given birth and mm-hmm. for women that haven't, it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was 32 when that happened to me. Hmm. Like that was, I finally stepped into my own life to be who the fuck I am based yeah. on who I want to be, not based on the stories and the trauma and all the past stuff. And I want to be job. able to give that to everyone, you know, women included. You're doing good. Thank you. It's been a long road, but I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, this medicine has, it's funny, this medicine has given me such a a reverence for my life 
you know, in a mm-hmm. way that I didn't know was possible. It has allowed me to love my body in a way that I also didn't know was possible, mm. especially as a woman. Mm. The, like, the, the love I feel for this vessel now is, like, <clears throat> so good. That's like, cool. the only thing I can compare it to is, like, a baby, right? You know, yeah. like we, we teach um, love yourself like your own firstborn baby. Mm-hmm. And, like, the way I feel about my body now is, like, huh. huge. Because for so long, I did not like my body. And I think a lot of women go through that. And now it's, like... I'm so grateful for it. And like, I see it in a completely different light and I don't fucking care about what anyone thinks about my body anymore. What I care about is how I feel. Yeah. Like even at the gym today, it was like, I used to go and like be really uncomfortable and like, I mean, granted. Feeling like people are looking at you. Well, yeah, most women get hit on at the gym and I've definitely been hitting a lot at the gym, but Uh I don't, I like today I was just, I was literally like doing something and then just started laughing because I was like, I don't even care. I'm not even aware I don't care if other people are looking or like, I'm just so in my body and loving it Yeah. that it, it doesn't even. That's awesome. Yeah. It doesn't even resonate anymore. And like the fact that women can give birth, like stepping into that and getting ready for that. I'm so fucking excited. Like you want to talk about an actual miracle? That is it. Yeah. There's nothing like that. Yeah. Grow, growing another human inside yeah. of you. Bringing And then I don't know, soul. you're a portal <laughs> yeah, for a spirit dimension. to come in. Like yeah. that is actual magic. Yeah, there's nothing like that. So really leaning into that and like the power we have as women has been um, incredibly healing for me. And Aboga has very much pointed me back to myself and back to my body. And it's like, Mm. I think there's a lot of information out there. I think there's way too much information out there. And if you dive too deep into it, it's very confusing and it just pulls you away from yourself. Mm. At the end of the day, you know, you can can learn and be educated, but Mm. if you don't have trust with yourself, it's not going to go well. Like that is your GPS, you. Yeah, that's the one of the main things I've noticed with my experience with the medicine is the simplification of my of of everything. Yeah, it's just simplified things so much for me. There used to be used to have so much. It's I guess it's just kind of like garbage. I don't, it's kind of a harsh word. There used to be so much <laughs> just like junk in my psyche and things that I'd think about and you know spiritual concepts from books and yeah. thing memes that I saw and. You know, all this stuff that I was always kind of considering and different um, different types of spiritual practices Absolutely. and different meditations and, um, you know, just, just there's just so much out there in the new age kind of, of world. And it's really come down to like none of that really, none of that really matters. All the answers are, are all of my answers come from me. Right. And there's no guru or teacher that's going to really know what I'm going to know for myself. Exactly. Um, and my re- recent retreat that I did, or my, my recent um, journey that I did, my bo- boga journey, um, my first question that I asked was, um, was there anything, is there anything you want me to know? Hmm. And uh, it showed me this vision of going through, it's like, it's like, it was like going scrolling past a library of thousands of books, thousands, hundred thousand books. And, um, uh, one book pops out, falls on the floor. <laughs> it's, uh, it's red and it says, Buiti. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's one thing. And then it goes, scrolls through thousands more and it's another book pops out. It's blue and you learn, learn Buiti and learn about yourself. <laughs> That's the only thing I want. That's the only, only thing it wants yeah. me to learn. That's, I love it. That's beautiful. Yeah, dude. Beautiful. There, there, <laughs> there's so much information Simple. out there and we're not taught to be gatekeepers for our mind and we don't understand that what we're letting in there is going to affect us yeah. in so many ways that we're not even aware of. Yeah, and it's really easy to get sent on wormholes based on some stupid thing you read online about totally. whatever f- fluoride or it's like, you know, or, oh, this thing is the government poisoning you through yeah. this. And it's like, I don't even consider that stuff anymore. I live simply. I can brush my teeth with fluoride and I don't care. There's nothing that can affect me. There's no- nothing like that's going to affect me. Well, most of um, what is affecting you in those moments, whether it's food, whether it's fluoride, whatever you're ingesting is the emotions attached mm, to it. You're singing to me, girl. Yeah. So if you're thinking about cancer and death when you're brushing your teeth, that is what is <laughs> then, going in. Yeah. <laughs> if you're thinking about it, then you better not be using the fluoride because right. that's what's killing you. You know, and that was yeah. another another thing. Um uh, my biggest takeaway of the reason, the reason that I did, um, my aboga journey recently was because of my health stuff. You know, I had right. my, you went through I a had lot. my, um, gallbladder removed and 
was dealing with about like two months of like just really feeling bad. And even after having the gallbladder removed, dealing with so much health stuff and like my digestion was just the worst, the worst and still nauseous. And I'm like, okay, I got to do something about this. So I did my, I did some aboga and since I've um, done the pre-initiation, I can guide myself. Right. This was my first solo journey, which um, uh, it was a hell. Of, it was a hell of an experience. I definitely felt like a naked baby out in the woods, like not having not having Skip there to guide me. It was like pretty daunting. Um, but my biggest takeaway from it was I was like, why did it? You know, why is my digestion so messed up? Why am I feeling so sick? And how do I make it better? And it showed me. It said, ever since you got sick. Um, Everything that you've been ingesting, you've been ingesting through the energy of fear. Oh, You're eating food yeah. and going, please don't die. Please don't die. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was just putting tox, the toxically yeah. imbued, negatively, you know, uh, imbued food into my body the entire time. And that's what's making me sick. And it said, you got to put food into your body with love. Put everything you put into your body, put with love. Only put love into your body. Yeah. And so... um. Uh, I figured it out. Everything, everything that I eat now, I bless it, and I love my body, and I um, there's no fear involved. It's like, I mean, dude, that makes a lot of sense based on your past with your health issues. You know, that would totally be, that would bring up a lot, and it sounds like it. did. I've been eating from from fear my entire life, really, because yeah. when I was a little kid, you know, I'm like three or four years old, and my parents are like, you got to eat more food because that's what the doctors say is yeah. going to keep you healthy. Yeah, you guys eat you a lot. You got to eat more food because if you don't, you're going to die from a disease. Right. And so now like um I'm finally starting to figure that out and since I've since that um experience with aboga, I've been feeling great, feeling 100%. Good for you, dude. Yeah. You got in there. I got in there. I figured some stuff out. I ate way too much medicine, <laughs> it made me very sick. Um I puked a lot. Um but boy, um, I needed to do that. I should have done that earlier. Well, you want to make sure your body's ready for it too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you guys growing up with CF and being told that, I mean, there's no way that's not going to affect your diet and like the way that you consume. And I very much believe that your brother going to Africa the first time and losing all that weight was him healing that. Mm. You know, we all, we all have weird ways of eating Yeah. regardless. And you know, you guys had your stuff. And so I, when he came back and, you know, it was 35, I don't even know, f- very light, you know? Yeah. I was like, yep. Yeah, when he, he came back from Africa, it was all skinny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he healed that up for sure. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm excited that I, I'm very stoked that I figured that out. And I've just been feeling great and eating food and not worrying, eating food from a fear perspective or worry perspective yeah like it doesn't matter you know it doesn't really matter what you're eating it's it matters how you feel about it and the energy attached to it and it's like that's what true loving yourself is it's so hard for people to really truly accept that reality from in the western minds we're so caught up in the diet thing i know like in other countries it's like oh you got food if there's food then you're good like it doesn't like it's like eat long as there's food (laughs) you just eat the food yeah yeah there's so many ideas you know, and that's not to say that you don't listen to your body. You know, there's yeah. some things I eat and my body doesn't like it, yeah. you know, but it, like having all these die hard rules is what's going to end up hurting you. Yeah. And it's like, a, it's a form of kind of self-punishment too, you know? Oh, so. absolutely. I mean, I, as a woman dealt with that a lot, um, never got too out of hand, but I definitely had an eating disorder for a while, you know, where I just wasn't eating. Yeah. We're meant to love our bodies. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many it's different ways to do way. that, you know? Yeah. Eating food. I mean, even just like when I get in the shower, I love myself up and look at my hand like, thank you, hand, for being an awesome <laughs> hand for the last 33 years, yeah. you know? Just saying thank you. That's a, one of the simplest and biggest lessons that this medicine has taught me is just... Thank you. Simple gratitude, you know? Like <laughs> a few days after we got back from Africa, uh, we woke up and the night before we had like a movie night and we had ice cream. And so I go into the kitchen and the sink is full of dishes. And normally I'd be annoyed just mm-hmm. like, why didn't we do this? Or why didn't Spencer load the dishwasher? Yeah. And I looked at this dish or sink full of dishes and I just started crying. I was like, oh my God, look how many beautiful dishes we have. And like we had all this <laughs> food and like we have this amazing home and we had a movie night and it was just so grateful. Huh. I was like, really and then cool. I laughed because I was crying over dishes. Totally. But it's like that simple 
joy and gratitude, you know? Yeah. Like now the things that I love to do are so simple. I love watching your brother eat <laughs> or play the bass. I love watching my dog frolic. Yeah. It's like the simplest things, but that's what this medicine does. Is It simplifies your life. Yeah, it brings you back to roots, dude. Yeah. Roots, dude. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you want to um, talk about or say before we end the podcast? I don't think so. I think we've done. I think Thanks we've covered for coming most, on. most of this. Thank you for having me. Thanks for talking. It's, uh, you know, I, we kind of chatted about this. We feel it's kind of important to have a woman's perspective. Of for sure. The medicine. We've had a lot of men on talk about it. And um, so it's nice to have the the counterbalance of the femininity. For sure. Yeah, and I'm really excited to uh, to be hosting women's retreats. And if anyone is interested, you know, they can go to our website if they have any questions. You know, being what's a woman. the website? Bogarebirth.com. Yep. Boom. Yep, we're on Instagram too. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited to move forward with this medicine with your brother, and also, you know, without. <laughs> and heal people. Yeah, heal the feminine, dude. I'm uh, just so excited. Yeah, if you guys could see Sienna's face right now, (laughs) the pure excitement. Yeah, stoked. Ladies and gentlemen, Sienna Burton. It's great to have you on. I love you. Whatever you focus upon becomes your truth.